Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm Ed. And I'm Ed. Wait, what? Wait. Oh, this is wrong. It's because you always do the intro. Yeah. It's like backwards day here. I'm Mike. And I'm Ed. There we go. And this okay. is episode 49. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh my god, one more till 50. Episode 49, Movie Mayhem. We are here with a ton of games based on movies. Some good, some not so good, but the music rocks, no matter what. Yes, agreed. There are some amazing tracks that we've picked, and I think they're all really good. Some are movie-based, some are not movie-based, so you'll kind of get a different flavor for each movie game soundtrack genre, if you will. So what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Goodness. Um... You know, Mad Max, the most recent Mad Max Fury Road is way, way up there. Is it really? I really like it's literally, the crow. It's, it's literally sitting on my desk right I know, now. I see it right there. It's, it's been there, like my friend Justin let me borrow it, and I just haven't Oh, you gotta watch it, it dude. I know, I I've know. seen it twice now, and I've, it's been epic both times. Yeah? Um, I really like The Crow. I like a lot a of that movie. sci-fi stuff, like Dark City. I really okay. loved Event Horizon, mm-hmm. Boondock Saints. A lot of those didn't really have games that accompanied them, but I, I love the Back to the Future series, and of course there were games to accompany that, although the <laughs> ones that came out over here weren't that great. What about you? Well, RoboCop is definitely my favorite movie of all time, the original RoboCop. It's got action, it's got humor, dark humor, it's got ridiculous concepts. It's, it's about a freaking Robo cop. Yeah. You know, a robot cop. I have a feeling we'll be talking a little bit more about that in a couple minutes. Possibly. (laughs) Um, But as we go through the show, you know, we'll definitely talk about our favorite movies, and we would love to hear about your favorite movies and movie-based video games, too. Join us on Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio. You know, chime in on the, uh, the post that we'll make for this episode. It'll be pinned to the top of the group. Let us know what your favorite movies and movie games and movie game tunes are. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to get into it? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's jump into it. So speaking of Back to the Future, and I know you guys are already rolling your eyes, but <laughs> this is a it's a Back to the Future game that never came out outside of Japan, which is so freaking weird. It's such a shame, too, because it's such a good game. Yeah, this is Super Back to the Future 2, released only on the Super Famicom in 1993, composed by Hitoshi Sakimoto. I mean, just getting better and better as we go along. Boom. And this is round two, one, and this is based on the melody from Alan Silvestri's original Back to the Future score. Enjoy.
Coming this winter to theaters, Back to the Future is doing video games in the latest movie, Back to the Retro. Doc Brown and Marty travel to the year 2015 where they happen to land the DeLorean in the parking lot of a retro video game convention. Wow, Doc! 2015! This is amazing! I can't wait to see all the future video games that people are play- Hey, is that a TurboGrafx-16? Oh, one and only, Marty! But that game system came out in the late 1980s! During our time, people still play those? Doc! Doc! What, Marty? Is that a- Game Boy? Why, yes it is! Amazing! It's as if people of the future play with video games of the past. I would have imagined everyone would have advanced beyond technology of our time. Doc, another one. This one's called, uh, Wii U. I don't remember that one. Must have come out in the 90s. I mean, look at those graphics, Marty. Well, it's pretty strange that everyone still plays video games. In fact, old ones. Is it possible that we altered the timeline? I mean, I always envisioned hoverboards and self-lacing shoes. That's just ridiculous, Marty. But there is a possibility that this is an alternate timeline. That's what I just said. No worries, my boy Marty. We'll get to the bottom of this. But for now, want to play some Frogger? Sure thing, Doc. Welcome back, that was Super Back to the Future 2, and that track was called Round 2-1. game was released in 1993 on the Super Famicom, and that track was by Hitoshi Sakamoto, a favorite of ours. Yes. I don't know, for me it, it feels kind of like, you know, Hitoshi Sakamoto was like playing along with the, with the main melody, and then just kind of put his Casio keyboard on the default Samba setting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this has a very heavy Samba inspiration, like Samba Caribbean feel to it. It's, yeah. I like those little like beeps, the little like beep beep, like yeah, horns. Yeah, yeah, the little and the whistle at the end. Yep, yep. You know, you wouldn't think that these two melodies would kind of go together, or that melody would go with that genre of music. Yeah. But, but they go together really Sakimoto well. Sakimoto makes it work, man. Yeah, He's man. just that talented. Uh, the game itself is really cool. It it's, feels a lot like Sonic. In yeah. a way, so you you play as Marty McFly and you're attached to your hoverboard for the duration of the entire game. Right. And you can jump and spin and jump on enemies and the levels are kind of multi-tiered, almost kind of pseudo-maze-like, kind of like the Sonic games are, with different secrets you can get and coins you can collect. But all the bosses, you know, mainly you're facing off against like Griff, Biff's son. Right. And, and it stays really, really true to the movie. Unfortunately, you know, if you grab the Super Famicom version, everything is completely in Japanese. Mm -hmm. But there are, there's a full English translation out right. there, which kind of rips the dialogue directly from the game, and it's a very accurate translation of all the menus and, and music and stuff. So it makes the whole thing very playable. I have played it through myself. It just brings the whole movie to life so well. I'm so disappointed it never came out over here. Yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, some of the Back to the Future games that we got were just, oh, just really bad. Trashy. I have a bit of a confession to make. I've never 
seen all of the Back to the Future trilogy. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Oh my serious. goodness. I've seen bits and pieces of some of the movies, but I just, I don't know, man. It just wow. wasn't my thing. There's so much fun. There are so many movies that I just never watched. Or I watched the cartoon, but I never watched the movie. Mm. Like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, like I never watched those movies when I was a kid, and so I don't have any nostalgia towards them. I watched the cartoons, though, and I loved the cartoons. I didn't so much like the Back to the Future cartoon, but the Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters cartoon I watched, and I yeah. loved that. So, yeah, it's it's really weird growing up and, you know, like, seeing all these people have, like, this amazing nostalgia for these movies, and I'm kind of like, meh. I don't know. You know, my parents were very careful about which movies they let us three kids watch when we were young. And Back to the Future was like one of the movies that they were totally okay with. Mm. So I didn't see it in the theater when it came out. Mm -hmm. Not the original one anyway. I was still a bit young. But, you know, it would always play on TV like, you know, right. Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. So we'd always like, you know, catch it while we were flipping by and we would always just sit and watch it as a family. Mm -hmm. Most of the people hate Back to the Future too, or not hate it, but think it's like the low point of the trilogy. Really? It's actually my favorite. Of all of them. Because I always thought the third one nobody liked. Oh no, the third one was really good. Oh, was it? it it's know. not because it takes place so far in the past. Yeah. And it like primarily just takes place there. It's not so much a time travel movie as okay. it is almost like a period piece. Huh. So it doesn't feel a lot like the first two movies. Right. But I, it's a really good action adventure mm -hmm. movie. But the second one, I think people thought just wasn't as good as hmm. the first one was. But, you know, I'm more of a sci-fi guy, so instead yeah. of going into the past, I was really curious to I'd see like the future how myself. they represented the year 2015. Yeah. And now that we know what 2015 is like, yeah. you know, we can tell a lot of the stuff was pretty accurate yeah. and a lot of the stuff was, was not accurate like at all. fashion, some of that yeah, fashion. Yeah, the fashion, the flying cars, yeah. you know, obviously the hoverboards are just starting to come out, mm -hmm. but they did video conference calls right. and picture in picture mm -hmm. and, you know, huge screen TVs. And stuff like that. And, so and Jaws on the Commodore 64 is still in uh, windowsills. Right, that's right. The they country. had that, and it was uh, <laughs> there were a couple of Nintendo games in there too. Yeah, it was like Friday the Thirteenth or I something. Think, I don't yeah, know what it no, was, it was LJN. I mean, they had a huge deal with. That's right. They with, were LJN games. Yeah, because all the NES Back to the Future games were LJN. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. And Jaws and all that. I, I mean, Warner Brothers pretty much like owned LJN as far as like licensed games. They were like, who are we gonna go to? LJN. LJN. And they mucked it up every time. Yeah, pretty much. Well, well not according cases. to Matt Ezra, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, you can head over to uh, romhacking.net, just search for Super Back to the Future Part 2, and you can find a, a patch to translate the game into English if you want to play it on an emulator, or I'm sure you can probably find reproduction cards out There's there that have already been translated. Cards. Yeah. Totally worth a play. Super fun game if you've seen the movie, you will definitely enjoy playing through the game and just seeing all of the parts of the movie become interactive. Yeah. And as far as Satoshi Sakamoto, we've talked about him numerous times before. Um, you know, he's done Midnight Resistance and... And for Base Escape. Ogre Battle. Tons of games. Yeah, we don't I even mean, need to really yeah. talk too much about him. I think we've featured him at least two or three times on the show <laughs> so far. Absolutely, yeah. So, I guess we'll move on to our next movie game, or game movie, or it's, whatever you want to call it. This one is your pick, and oh, gee, man. I'm so surprised. I love this movie, and I love this game. Robocop on the NES. This game came out in 1989, about two years after the movie came out. And the track is simply called On Duty. It's by Shogo Sakai. Takafumi Miura, Masaki Iwasaki, Yuji Suzuki. It's based on the main theme of the movie, which is by Basil Polidurus. 
Welcome back. That was my boy Robocop. Great song. A very repetitive song. But the song is called On Duty. It's from the 1989 Robocop game that came out on the Nintendo Entertainment System. So that was composed by Shogo Sakai, Takafumi Miura, Masaki Iwasaki, and Yuji Suzuki. Of course, as we mentioned before, based on the main theme of the movie by Basil Polidorus. Yes, and that main theme is, as we were talking about during the break, it's a motif, if you will. Yeah, kind of an overarching yeah. melody that plays throughout the movie in right. different Different intervals, different Tenders speeds. And, yeah. Right, right, right. And it's funny because, you know, I've played through this game, but I have not actually seen the movie, which Mike almost punched me I when did. I told him that. I did. Um, <laughs> he almost had a, a scar from... Yes. I would have sliced you. But I would not no. have surmised that this particular NES track mm-hmm. was even from the movie. It oh, really? sounds so much like a traditional NES... Yeah. You know, background music. It's got. I would have thought that maybe it was a little more playful than what should be mm. in a RoboCop game. Right. But after actually hearing, so you know, we, we obviously can't play it on the podcast because right. of copyright reasons. But yeah. if you search for RoboCop Rock Shop right. on YouTube, you will hear after well, like a minute and a half or so, yeah. this melody plays during that song, and you, right. you'll hear it's a it's, so it's a direct comparison between that soundtrack and and this and NES soundtrack. Right. So. And you you hear this song throughout the entire game but you don't you only hear that one little small snippet of the actual robocop theme this song rock shop i think they they took one specific melody that they could use and they kind of looped it it works but i mean if you heard like rock shop in nes form i i just don't think that it would work because it's very it goes slow paced. It it's goes a cinematic fast. piece. Exactly. Very symphonic. Right, right. So they kind of just turned it into a traditional kind of Japanese action music right. song. Yeah. The game itself is one of my favorites. In all honesty, I love this game. It is great. I don't know. A lot of people hate on the game. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's blind nostalgia, but. Um, it reminds me a lot of Kung Fu. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a larger style sprite, just mm-hmm. walking back and forth for the most part and just kind of dispatching enemies as they come in from either side of the screen. Right. That style game, Russian Attack, it's kind of got that feel to it. The the problem with the game is that a lot of people don't like it because it doesn't feel arcade if you will. Like mm. the arcade RoboCop games, which, you know, it was difficult to pick a RoboCop game to play a track from. I knew I wanted to pick something, but I wanted to save some of the RoboCop tracks for a future episode. Some of the RoboCop tracks that, that I could pick from they all have very similar soundtracks by Jonathan Dunn, and he's done a great job with those games and those soundtracks and everything, but I wanted to pick something that I could relate to a little bit more, so that's kind of why I picked this one. But I think the arcade game is, is actually a better game than the NES game, personally. I agree. They had a little yeah. more to work with as far as hardware went. Exactly, yeah. I don't know. Like When I'm playing as Robocop in this game, it feels true to the character. He's very stiff. I right, mean, right. He, he does... It lends itself well to an earlier right. video game because right. that stiff movement is very easy to program. Absolutely, and it matches with the way the character functions. I mean, Robocop is not a fast guy. No, you don't have to worry about making it like Prince of Persia exactly, or something. Exactly, right. And you don't have to worry about jumping either. And that always kind of threw me because the sequels to this game, they were more like platformy and you can jump from platform Especially to platform. the reboot. He was like a freaking ninja. Oh my God. It was so, so terrible. So yeah, Robocop 2 and 3 for the NES, don't play them. They're awful. They have great soundtracks for the most so part. So listen and just don't play. Listen and don't play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people have big problems with this game just because it's very slow paced. You got to keep in mind that you're you're playing as Robocop. So I think if you go into it with that mindset, you'll have more fun with the game. 
Uh, as far as the music goes, there's not a lot of music in this game. This is probably the best track. Yeah, it's called On Duty because it pretty much plays whenever there's an yeah. action sequence for the most part, aside from some bosses. Right. And some of the later levels, I think, have some different background music in them. Yeah, there's a couple tracks that are worth noting, like the song that plays when you're doing target practice, which is like a first-person kind of thing when you're moving the cursor around and shooting little targets. Like a poor man's duck hunt. Yeah, a little bit. I have gotten so good at this game that I can get all of the targets <laughs> and I can beat the whole game in less than 15 minutes. Well, look at you. I know. So I'm just I'm going to dust off my shoulders right now because I'm feeling, feeling pretty proud. So in your opinion, yes. if you were at a game shop and did not own this game yes. and saw this game priced yeah. for, say, like $1, would you yeah. purchase it? Absolutely. So, well, I already own it. Box so, complete. So you're but... saying that you'd buy that for a dollar? <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I didn't see where you were going with that. Yes, I'd buy that for a dollar. I, I had to make you say yeah, it at least yeah, once. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> let's uh, talk a little bit about the composers. Obviously, Shogo Sakai, we've talked about several times in the past, especially because I gush over him whenever we play something from Mother 3, but he also worked on Bloody Wolf, which we played in the Matt Ezra right. episode as well. Now, Takafumi Miura worked mainly for Data East, also worked on Bloody Wolf and Bad Dudes, Werewolf the Last Warrior, Metal Max, so a lot of NES games early, early on, worked on all of the Metal Max games. Uh, so Metal Max, Metal Max 2, Metal Max Returns, which I think was a DS game. I don't know if those were too popular or actually came out in North America, but they were well known for their, their pretty decent soundtracks. Kind of like a post-apocalyptic RPG I didn't even know what kind of Metal deal. Max was, in yeah. all honesty. Um, did uh, music for ABC Monday Night Football for oh, the man. SNES and Magical Drop, and then had some original game music in Abobo's Big Adventure, that indie game in 2012. Yes. Yeah, Masaki Iwasaki worked on Magical Drop 2 and 3, Magical Drop F, Mother 3 actually did the sound effects for, uh, worked on Super Smash Bros. Ball, and Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which came out this year, yep. Kirby Mass Attack, he did sound effects for, uh, as far as music, Street Slam, uh, Dash and Desperados, uh, he actually worked on High Seas Havoc, which we picked for the. Yep, he was uh, the, one of the main composers on that episode. game. Yep, and yeah. Bad Dudes, of course. Bad Dudes. Chelnov Atomic Runner. So this guy's got cred in my book. Yeah, man. He's got some good tracks. That Chelnov theme. Definitely. The only person who doesn't really have a lot to their name, on the internet at least, is Yuji Suzuki. And he's done Al Unser Jr. Turbo Racing. That was the last game he came out with. That was back in 89. He did sound on that. Uh, also worked on Bad Dudes, Bloody Wolf, Robocop, Captain Silver, Heavy Barrel, and Boulder Dash. So he's kind of... Mostly Data East stuff. Yeah, and mostly very vague, like, just sound credits. Not necessarily composer credits. Yeah, and programming, maybe sound effects. Exactly, right. So, but still, you know, it took a bunch of people to make this song what it is. And, it's and he helped make one of Mike's track. favorite games, so you really can't argue that. Yeah, man. I'm okay with that. Our next movie game is actually three movies in one. True. Die Hard Trilogy for the PlayStation. This was released in 1996. This is Wall Street from Stephen Root and Neil Palmer.
Welcome back. That was from Die Hard Trilogy from Steven Root. That was Wall Street from the Die Hard with a Vengeance section of the game based on the third movie. All I got to say is yippee ki mother trucker. Mother sucker. <laughs> awesome series of movies. You know, most of the Die Hard based movie games are really good too. Yeah, the um, game that came out for the Sega Saturn. The Dynamite, Dynamite Cop. Yeah, Dynamite based Cop. Game. Transitioned yeah. game. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic game. Yeah. It's like a Die Hard Arcade. Right? Die Hard Die Arcade, Arcade yeah. or Dynamite Deca, depending on which country you live in. Right, right. Yeah, that was fantastic. And then Die Hard Trilogy is a very solid like first person, but then there's also driving, and there's a whole bunch of different types of games right. in this game. And the music from Steven Root is absolutely fantastic. So this takes place in the Wall Street area, and I like how they incorporated like the cash sounds and like money drawers opening and stuff kind of gives you that feel. Yeah. The part of the game that it plays in itself is you're driving through the financial district in New York trying to disarm bombs before they go off and you know the city blows up. No, I actually haven't played this one. Is it based on all three movies? Based on all three movies. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, there are abbreviated versions of all three movies because right. they can't fit of it course. all into one, but yeah. graphics are amazing. You know, you can select which game you want to pick at the beginning. They all have their own title screens. It's literally set up like three games right. in one. That's cool. But the, they're all like the highest resolution that the PlayStation can manage. Mm-hmm. There's very little pop-up. It just looks really, really good. Steven Root is most famous for doing music for the Burnout series. He worked with Criterion all throughout their, their burnout run. Right. And then once Electronic Arts bought them out, he stayed on for another four years into 2008. Now he is sound director for Codemasters. Okay. So he works on like the Colin McRae games. He did some of uh, the sound direction for those. Mm-hmm. Most recently did the soundtrack for uh, Dirt Showdown, which came out in 2012. And so a lot of rally driving games. You know, he writes... Really slick music. It sounds a lot like like this Wall Street song. It's a yeah. very good representation of the kind of music he does. It's like kind of rock, but kind of dance. It's like it sits somewhere in the middle. It's got a little bit of a lot of different genres in it. So he's really, really good at pulling that kind of music out. Cool. So Neil Palmer, I, I think we've talked about him before. He's a composer, a producer, and a keyboardologist. You can go over to feelsofree.com, and that's basically like his portfolio, and he does... Music for games and movies and trailers and videos and corporate training videos and yeah, man. all that stuff. So he's kind of the jack of all trades cool. kind of dude. So this is a game you should check out, Mike, because it's it's a lot of fun. Dude, I haven't played this game. Have you seen the movies at least? I've seen the first two. Okay. I haven't seen the third one. Okay. Third one's good too. I heard they were Samuel, all good. Samuel is yes. in the third one. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, man. He uh, plays a guy named Zeus. I like the first one. Second one's alright. The big the big joke in the third one is Samuel Jackson's character is named Zeus, mm-hmm. but for the, like the first ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, people say, "Hey Zeus," so <laughs> Bruce Willis' character thinks that his name is Hey Zeus oh. instead of Zeus, oh, and he gets really okay. mad about yeah, it. Yeah. So, ha! Funny jokes. Yeah. Anyhow, moving on to our next game. Uh, this is not one of my favorites, I'll tell you that oh, much. Oh, definitely not. This is Dark Man for the NES, released in 1991. This track is called Burned Alive by one of our favorites, Jonathan Dunn.
Welcome back. That was from Darkman on the Nintendo Entertainment System, game released in 1991. And that was a track called Burned Alive by Mr. Jonathan Dunn. And wow, this game is horrible. <laughs> oh my god. Can I do... Okay, let's talk about this game first and then we'll talk about the music. Let's do that. The game is a platformer. It also has elements of, I guess, puzzles mixed with like also first person parts. So the main chunk of the game is you're playing as Darkman. Now, for those of you who don't know who Darkman is, um, it's a character played by Liam Neeson in the movie Darkman, which is uh, directed and written by like Sam Raimi. He's a scientist who gets burned alive uh, by this evil people and he seeks revenge on them. So he has to like wrap his face in like all these rags and stuff. And, you know, he kind of disguises himself so that people can't see all these terrible burns that he has and everything. You, you go through the game, basically. I mean, it, it actually sticks pretty true to the movie as far as the story goes. That There's actually even an option when you start the game to read the story. And it's got, like, I don't want to say interactive cinematics or anything like that. But there's, like, little pictures, like, animated pictures of him while the story is on the screen. So it's, like, it sets it up for a really cool game. Yeah, they wanted to integrate the movie in the game. Right. It's got a really cool feeling to it. Um, so... You start up the game, you got very slippery controls, first off. He, you know, when he starts running, he kind of slides all over the place. You're kind of like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I've got no room to do anything. It's not like Mario where there's a clear path. Yeah, I can so, throw a baseball. Like, that's your only action besides a jump that right. you can do. So you, you run and you have to, like, just hope and pray that you can do something <laughs> so you grab this pipe and you crawl up the pipe and then you're like where do i go they focus so strongly on like making sure that you know how to balance on the balance beams when you're walking on these like tight ropes up top mm -hmm. and so they do a really good job of kind of displaying like how you do that but then like the combat is so horrible oh my god the combat is so bad in this game there's no like rules or concise methods that you can go with in this game. You just attack and hope it works. You basically. attack and hope for the best. It's not <laughs> like, well, if I hit him this way and I do it a certain way, I can kill him. If it was something like that, then I'd be I'd be cool with working around that. Like I'd still enjoy the game. I don't know. It's it's really frustrating. So later on in the game, the second level, there's a puzzle aspect to it because you're on this platform, this really fast-moving platform, and you're kind of going like down a like path really fast, and you can you have to press left or right or down to go whatever path, and depending on which path you pick, you'll either die or you'll have to start over. The craziest part about this game is that it's not unlimited continues, so you'll run out of guys crazy fast because again, it plays more like a puzzle game yeah, than a platformer, yeah. and you'll lose all your continues and you'll have to start over. You need to have that combination of luck when attacking oh. and memorization for the puzzles because there's so many easy ways to get yourself killed instantly. You have to memorize the entire game. Yeah, basically. it's it's I mean I've seen runs done on YouTube and and I can only imagine how many hours you've had to pour into the game to be able to get through this game without even dying. You know, it's crazy. There's these weird first person modes where it goes into first person and you move the cursor to take snapshots like pictures just like in the movie uh, of of the people that you're going to be impersonating so you create these masks to wear to fool people and depending on how well you take the photo depends on how good the mask is but the combat is just so frustrating in this game like i made me want to tear my face off 
and put somebody else's face on and make hey, them play it. I know where that's from. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> Let's talk about the positives for a change. Yes. Let's talk about the music. The soundtrack is great. Yes. Phenomenal stuff. Jonathan Dunn has done... Dun, 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 a ton of... <laughs> he's done a ton of movie-based games. Yes. And so it was, it was funny because you would pick this relatively early mm-hmm. in our track gathering for this particular episode yes and so every other game i'm like all right let's do jurassic park no it's jonathan dunn like i didn't want to overload on jonathan dunn same thing for me when i picked robocop i originally picked the game boy game and then i was like yeah i can't have two jobs so you know i looked at stuff like jurassic park and cool world and hook and the adams family and i'm like they're all jonathan dunn i can't find anything else i mean i picked a lot of good stuff but yeah so he's done lots and lots Primarily worked for Ocean mm-hmm. uh, early on, so yep. they did a lot of movie licensed games. Untouchables, Rambo 3, right. Batman. Which Batman? The Batman on the Amiga in 1989. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's not specifically just like NES and Super Nintendo. Right. He's, he's, some he's British, 64. so he worked on right. a lot of the Amiga, uh, Amstrad CPC, yeah. Commodore 64. And as we've talked about in the past, that sound that he has, I mean, you've got those arpeggios that are in this track specifically just resonate they just sound so right, crisp right. and so great when you when you hear those kind of arpeggios in a Nintendo game, it's like you're almost guaranteed you know. that that composer started off on the oh, C64 yeah. Absolutely. and uh, on the older chip-based consoles. So there you go. I mean, we'll definitely play more stuff from Jonathan Dunn in the future. Please, just don't play this game. Just do yourself a favor. Like <laughs> this, I, is, this is becoming a theme this episode. Like, seriously, like... But the music, um, you know, this is a very music. slow-paced, dark, yeah. cinematic-sounding... Those uh, those kick drum samples are just like doosh. Yes. Very loud, very... Br- I actually had to turn them down a little bit because they were so loud you could barely hear the background yeah. music. Uh, so when you, when you play it on an NES... Um, it's good to have like extra speakers hooked up to your TV so you can really get the full effect of that really cool bass sample. Yeah, I have a stereo system on my old school setup. So I have my, my CRT television, which people have seen in reviews. And, and that is hooked up to my stereo system, which has a subwoofer. So this game sounds great oh, yeah. on a subwoofer. The only problem is it's Nintendo, so it's mono sound, unfortunately. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to our next game. This is Lethal Weapon on the Amiga. Wow. Yeah. I think this might be the first. No, this not. We've played Amiga yeah. tracks in the past. All right. All right. Good. Because but I Amiga felt like we needed a little variety. Music. Plus, you know, this is Mission One. Uh, Barry Leach is one of the composers on this, along with yes. Dean Evans. So uh, definitely worth a play. Let's go for it. Let's hit it.
Does this happen to you? Aw, come on, honey, let's watch Robocop. That movie is so stupid, I don't know why you're obsessed with it so much. It's got everything. Great one-liners, 80s cheese, awesome over-the-top action, fake commercials, and a half-man, half-cyborg cop. What's not to love? Everything you just mentioned. Oh, man. I want to watch Robocop, but my fiancé hates the movie. What do I do? Well, then you need Movie Ruiner 20XTX. What's that? It's a product that puts video game characters in every movie ever. Let's watch. Let's watch Casablanca. Okay. Here's looking at you, kid. Is that Blanca from Street Fighter? Oh, Casablanca. I get it. Why, dear God, why? How about V for Vendetta? Remember, remember, the 5th of November. I don't remember boxes with giant legs of meat in them being in V for Vendetta. Wait a minute. Isn't that guy from Final Fight? What's going on here? Wait, wait, just one more. The Sound of Music, a classic. Okay, but no funny business. Flawless victory. Fatality. Sindel for Mortal Kombat? Really? Alright, fine. Let's just watch Robocop. Thanks, Movie Ruiner 20XX! Available at Borders Bookstores. Not available in Denmark. Children under 35, get your parents' permission before putting Movie Ruiner 20XDX into your VCR. Side effects include death. Void in Sweden. Coupons not accepted after midnight. Welcome back, that was Lethal Weapon for the Commodore Amiga, released in 1992. That was the track from Mission One, composed by Barry Leach, and Dean Evans also worked on this game, wrote mainly the uh, the menu and the title screen themes, while Barry Leach worked on this particular track and a lot of the other level tracks. Now, perhaps enlighten me, you said Commodore Amiga. Yeah. Commodore bought out Amiga? No, Commodore made the Amiga. Did they? Always, always, yeah, it was their follow-up to the Commodore 64. I did not know that. So anyways, yes, Barry Leach, we've played his tracks, obviously, in the past. Top Gear. Top Gear. Most recently, he came back to the video game composition scene with Horizon Chase for iOS, and it's now out on Android, and I believe it's also coming out on the PS4 as well. But uh, Leach has composed hundreds and hundreds of games, music for kids' toys, and he's just awesome, man. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, this, you all right there? This, uh, You're going to be okay. Sorry, I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, so this song, is, as Mike was saying, it doesn't doesn't sound too much like your traditional Barry Leach-style song at the beginning. It's yeah. got kind of an industrial rock feel to it. But then the farther you go into it, once that main keyboard line starts around 45 seconds About in, 45 seconds you're in. like, oh, okay, I can totally hear like the Top Gear and Lotus kind of style. Yeah. And then he works the scales into the very end of the song. You're like, okay, definitely Barry Leach at this point. It just didn't sound Amiga to me either. I mean, I'm so used to hearing these like amazing melodies out of the Amiga and to hear something so brash-sounding in the beginning with those there. guitar bass yeah, samples yeah just yeah, like yeah. really heavy sounding and it's not it just didn't sound like amiga and then when 45 seconds in when that main melody hits you're just like oh okay now right, i now, get it now this is amiga sounding <laughs> but yeah it's really great it's just like really awesome uplifting melody yeah the the game itself is not really based on the 
NES games or any of the other games out there. It's more of a cartoony style side-scrolling game. You can switch back between Murtaugh and Riggs, but you can only do so like in the locker room of the police station, which is kind of like a hub that you can use to get to all of the other stages. And so you're, you're kind of small on the screen, but it's a, your standard kind of platformy, shooty, punchy... Shooty, punchy. Shooty, punchy game. You know, with the Amiga, you only... Most of the Amiga games only had support for one action button. So you had your joystick with one button on it. So you have to press up to jump. And in a platforming game, I always oh, dislike that. Yeah. So I, I wasn't able to get very far in this game because... I don't know, for some reason I would always like just try to start walking forwards and then, oop, there I am jumping for no yep. particular reason and there yeah. I go down a pit or into an enemy. Mm -hmm. um, but it is fun, the control's pretty tight. I don't know, I had fun with the game. It's just a little unique kind of thing and I felt that the track was cool. Yeah, and man. the whole soundtrack for this game is cool. Dean Evans' music is a little more subdued, kind of like a light, jazzy new age style and we'll hear more from him towards the end of the show. But, uh, you know, Barry Leach was very influenced by a lot of the goth and kind of electro bands that were from Europe uh, in the early and, and, and mid-80s. So that sound comes through in a lot of his music. It's a lot more upbeat, a lot more energetic, just like, like this one was. Have you seen this movie? I've seen Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I've seen all of them, actually. I've only seen bits and pieces of most of them. Yeah, I don't know. They're funny. Yeah. The Joe Pesci character... He gets a little annoying after a while. Well, he's he's meant passion. to be like the comic relief while like yeah. Martin Riggs are the straight guys. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, it gets to be a little... So you, are you trying to say that I'm your Joe Pesci? Is that what you're saying? Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm Mel Gibson, you're Joe Pesci. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Wait. Minus all the racist who's, stuff. Who's, who's Danny Glover? Uh, Harley. Our dog. You mean my dog? He's my dog now. Oh, he's your dog now? Yeah. Oh, you're you're adopting him. Well, this is Pixel Tunes Castle Basement, so he hangs out here. It's our dog. That's true. He's, he's the Pixel Tunes mascot. No. No? No. We already have a Pixel Tunes mascot. Who's the mascot? Was he the the badger nozzle oh, thing? Oh, right. Yeah. That thing you mentioned once in one show that I don't remember? <laughs> that everybody knows is the mascot, <laughs> clearly. All right, let's move on to the next game. This is Batman. For the TurboGrafx-16, also known as the PC Engine in Japan, and this is the 1990 release, this is Level 1 by Naoki Kodaka.
na 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 Batman! Well, yeah. But wrong. That's Adam West Batman. Da, 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 da. There we go. Batman! <laughs> I don't think it says Batman at the end like that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome, though? Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was from Batman for the TurboGrafx-16. Actually, it was for the PC Engine, technically, because it did not get a One of those other weird ones. American release. American movie. Japanese-only release. 1990 track was Level 1. By our friend and yours, Naoki Kodaka, Sunsoft Dude. Your friendly neighborhood Sunsoft composer. <laughs> yes. Wrong hero, though. That's Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, so he's not the composer we deserve. Yes. Oh, no, he's not the composer we need. He's yes. the composer we deserve. Yes. 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 <laughs> and rightfully so. This track is, composition-wise, fantastic. Audio-wise, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we could have gotten something better out of, like, the Genesis. Like, the sound font that they used on this just sounds very, as you said during the break, very, like, fuzzy. Yeah. Well, Kodaka used a lot of, and I'm sure he was used to doing this from the NES with with that Sunsoft bass sample. That Sunsoft bass. Of course. You know, there's a lot of sample channel usage in this song for the cymbal crashes, for the drums, for those little synth hits. Yes. So, you know, the sampling capabilities of the TurboGrafx-16 was not that great. No. So... What I was saying to Mike while we were listening to the song is that perhaps this song sounded freaking amazing on the original hardware that he composed it with, but then once those samples get kind of downsampled, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, when you import them into the the TurboGrafx 16 ROM, that you know those that fuzz kind of comes out, and so because he used it so much, it kind of permeates throughout the entire song. Yeah. But that being said, it is a great action song and especially for like level one of this game it really gets you pumped up oh absolutely um and the game is kind of like a overhead it's not a very fast paced game no it's it's almost like <sighs> it's like bat bomberman yeah yeah kind of bat bomberman that's actually a pretty good explanation yeah you're going around as batman and you're knocking out some of the bad guys it's top down as ed was saying and you collect all these various different items, like, you know, batarangs and, like, points and, like, all this other various different stuff. The camera's pant pulled away pretty far, though, yeah. so you could see a large part of the map for the game. It, the game's fun. I mean, you know, I've played it. It's it's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and it follows the first it. movie pretty accurately. Yeah, and on the actual hardware itself, the, the game sounds pretty good. It's just when you convert it and, and bring it over and try to, like, raise the volume on it, you know, when you convert it into something that's actually listenable like mp3 format it just ruins the quality i mean when you're playing this on an old school tv with speakers like old school speakers it sounds pretty good i mean it fits with the game and everything but yeah that fuzz just kind of kills the the fantastic composition here's your homework guys go buy a pc engine (laughs) buy batman for the pc engine and play the game there we go and then you can listen to the music as intended. Yes. Naoki Kodaka, of course, needs no introduction, as we said before. Sunsoft guy primarily worked on Sunsoft games. Worked on Yeah, Batman, we talked about him. Fester's Quest on the Spooky Tunes 2. Pretty much every version of Batman. Like yeah. Batman, the original NES game, the Genesis game, Return of the Joker. Naoki Kodaka has quite a history with Batman. Good stuff. And on the Game Boy, too. Right. The Game Boy versions. Well, because he was basically the in-house Sunsoft composer, so... When Sunsoft keeps getting those Batman licenses, you're going to keep using your in-house composer form. He is the Batman of Sunsoft. We'll go with that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Fighting crime and writing tunes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's always night in Gotham, and it's always night in Blade Runner. True. That's our next track coming up. 
This is a, one of, I think, maybe our first Windows-only game. This is Blade Runner from Westwood Studios. This came out in 1997, long after the original movie had come and gone. This is Dektora's Dance from Frank Klepacki. Welcome back. That was Dektora's Dance from the Blade Runner game, released in 1997 and composed by award-winning composer and musician Frank Klepecki. You got that wrong, actually. That was by Michael Jackson. The baseline might have been <laughs> maybe by Brad Buxter or something. I was waiting, <laughs> seriously waiting for to come out. Yeah, totally a Michael Jackson baseline, just a little slowed down. Yeah, yeah, and well, you know, '97 was around that. Yeah, that age too. But this sounds right out of bad, like Michael Jackson's bad. I can see that, I guess. But you know. To be fair, the original Blade Runner movie soundtrack had that very kind of similar electronic synthesized sound as well. It was just of the age. Yeah, yeah. That happened. So Blade Runner, the game, was a very big budget title put out by Westwood Studios, and it was intended to kind of revitalize the story-based adventure games that were made popular by LucasArts, you know, Day of the Tentacle, Day of Maniac the Tentacle. Mansion. Right, right, right. Those games kind of went by the wayside when the Super Nintendo and Genesis and all those very action-based games became very popular. And so this game, while being a really, really good game, just didn't have the sales numbers and didn't generate the kind of excitement. So the genre kind of went away for a little while again, and then once Telltale Games came around, you know, they started revitalizing that genre I would say Phoenix Hardcore. Wright. I would say Phoenix Wright had a lot to do with it in the Wii. Possibly. Yes, as well. That's not what got me back into the genre, but But I'm saying like those games started popping up way more often because yeah. 
of the pointing mechanics and the tapping mechanics of the DS and the Wii. I mean, tons of those games came out. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, they're they're procedural kind of games, but I don't know if I'd call them like an adventure, a text-based adventure game, like in the vein of... What, Phoenix Ray? This, yeah. Oh, I absolutely would. I mean, you gotta figure, you're going around to various different places, traveling to various different places. You're not controlling a character. Well, that's the thing, is that you're controlling characters in all of these games, so it's kind of like a side-scrolling... Yeah, but it's text-based. I mean, yeah. it's more, you know, everything that you're doing is I guess you're seeing more similarities and... between them than I am. But anyways, we'll leave it up to the viewers. Yeah. Yeah, viewers. And the listeners. Yeah. And depending on how you're watching this or listening to it. True, true. Anywho, so anyways, this game was kind of overlooked, and it's unfortunate because it's really fantastic. It really brings the Blade Runner universe to life. And Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies, being a big, gritty sci-fi fan. And I felt like, while the original movie was totally awesome, that universe was so cool, and they could have done so much more of it with sequels and, and other stuff, and it just kind of got forgotten. You know, people, there are big fans of the movie, but the IP itself just it's kind, kind of, of got cult. forgotten. It's kind of a cult it's hit. It's a cult, cult hit, yeah, exactly. So I was really excited when this came out. I actually bought it the day it came out, and I was really happy that it kind of broadened that universe and broadened the city. You know, it doesn't actually take place. It doesn't follow the movie. So you're a different detective. You're trying to solve a not, murder you're that's... Not, you're not Detective Harrison Ford. You're not Detective <laughs> Harrison Ford. You're not Decker. It, it really kind of, like I said, brings the universe to life and follows... And there are a lot of allusions to the original movie itself, but you're following kind of a parallel storyline. So I was really, really happy with it. I wish that it had been a little more popular so that maybe there would have been sequels or expansions to this kind of thing. I like Blade Runner in a concept, but not the actual movie. I don't know. Mm. The, the, the big, I know I know exactly what you mean. I, I love steampunk type stuff, and I love love like Ghost in the Shell type stuff, which obviously Ghost in the Shell was inspired by Blade Runner. My biggest issue is I like the art style and the aesthetics of it, but Blade Runner is a very slow movie. It was a film noir movie, it essentially. It absolutely was. It just happened to take place in the future. I think it just dragged, especially yeah. like towards the end. I was just like, oh my god, I just want this to be over. <laughs> and it just dragged and dragged, and that was like, I was totally on board with the movie until the end. Yeah, I was no, just I, like, can, I agree. I, it didn't it. end the way I expected it to yeah. end either. I like the the concept of morality that it yeah. you know introduced and all of that, but I felt like the the amazing universe was just kind of a small bit player mm-hmm. when it could have been a lot more present. Yeah, and there's like I said, I'll just repeat it again. There's so much stuff they could have done with that universe yeah. that never got done. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll talk a little bit about Frank Klepacki since we haven't talked about him at all on the show, and he's a, a very prolific composer and instrumentalist. He has done music for tons and tons of different companies: uh, Lucas Arts, Electronic Arts, Virgin. Disney, Hasbro, Ubisoft, Sega. He scored the first real-time strategy game in history, Dune 2, in 1992. Very famous for doing the uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert games, and those soundtracks are mind-blowing. Dune 2, like the sequel to the movie Dune? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did Dune Spice get a sequel? and all that. Well, in the books, there was, there was an expanded That's right. universe. Yeah. But, no, I know. But Dune was also a very popular series of PC games, yes. you know, aside from just the movies and the books. And keep in mind, we're saying Dune, 
Not Doom. Not Doom. No, not yes. Bobby Prince's Doom soundtrack. Yes. This is Frank Lepaki's Dune 2 soundtrack. <laughs> yes. Hoping this pop filter brings through the N's and the M's. The popos and the Sounded like the lion from Wizard of Oz back there. You need to get some courage there. Well, I know a lady who does have courage, and that's Aeon Flux. And that is our next game-based movie-based game. And it's based on the movie that came out around 2005. The game came out right around the same time, based on the cartoon Aeon Flux. This game came out for the PS2 and the Xbox. And this song, well, we don't really have a name for it. We're just going to call it Q8 Loop, because that's the name of the actual title track that's the in name the name of the file on the disc. Exactly. There you go. And it's by Kyle Richards. Welcome back. That was Aeon Flux, or Eon Flux, or however you want to say it. I always call it Aeon Flux, Maybe and I too. think that's the appropriate version. And that was the game that came out for the PS2 and the Xbox. And yeah, that song again was called Q8 Loop. 
and that was by Mr. Kyle Richards. So, have you seen the show, Aeon Flux? Yeah, I mean, I used to see or watch Liquid TV Liquid all the TV. time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's based on the Liquid TV show and later kind of like the, the actual show that came out for Aeon Flux got transitioned into a movie. One really cool thing about the game when you start up the game is it starts like the show. So right. there's actually an animated cutscene. And then transitions kind of, into it CG. transitions into CG and you've got the character basically played by the movie characters. They took the movie character's skin who is uh, Charlize Theron. They basically kind of... They put her in the game. Yeah, revamped, put her likeness in the game. revamped her animated version of it. The movie bombed. I mean, unfortunately, the, the movie did not do so well. I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I mean, it was a cool sci-fi flick that wasn't anywhere near as good as the show, in my opinion, but I just think the show and the movie are just such different beasts yeah. that you can't really transition that into a movie. I also, I don't I don't know if Charlize Theron was right for that part. Oh, really? Either. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. I thought Charlize, okay. Charlize Theron... She's, I mean, even that Mad Max movie that she's in, I mean, she has the ability, she's got a, she's got a very wide range. She knows how to play action, she knows how to play drama, she knows how to play comedy. I, I think she's the right person for the role. I just thought, and she certainly looks great with dark hair and, you know, skin-tight leather and everything. I mean, she looks good as Aeon Flux. I, I just kind of felt that she didn't watch the cartoon she just kind of came right, up right. with this character on her own. It yeah. was like, hey, I'm going to just act the way I want to yeah. act, not the way that the character She needed to be like a little more snarky, I think, yeah. kind of like the cartoon version was. Yeah, yeah. I felt that she was kind of flat, and I guess maybe that's why I kind of... She kinda, is not flat. Haha. <laughs> but, yeah, and she also actually did the voice work for her character yeah. in the game, mm -hmm. and that was also extremely flat. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool to have a, an actual movie actor or actress do the voice of a character in a yeah. game, but she was facing off against another character in the game, voiced by uh, Troy Baker, right? Who was fantastic. Oh, Troy Baker in that great. game. I mean, yeah. he's done what? He was the voice of what? Nathan, Joker, Nathan and, Drake, and, yeah, and all, yeah. all those really popular characters that came after this game did. Yeah, yeah. But his performance, I think, outshined Theron's voice work yeah. in the game. So it kind of left it a little unbalanced for me. But she's not really known for doing voice work. Well, also. exactly, exactly. She's, and yeah. I, I don't, I don't think she really would have gotten much voice work after her performance in this <laughs> yeah. game. Not to you know talk down about her i mean right she was absolutely wonderful in mad max right so and uh prometheus as yeah. well she was no fantastic. she's she's good I, I like her as an actress and i think she'd make a great samus personally but yeah i, I can I see mean, that we've we've said that we've we talked about that in the metroid episode so yeah the, the game is basically based on the movie itself it's set in the year 2415 so it's quite a while away 2415 and most of the world has been wiped out for disease and uh so there's one city left it's called bregna and basically it's ruled by this i guess you could say utopian ruler even though it's more of a it's not dystopian because it's not like the world is in shambles. It's a very bright, beautiful location. It has kind of like a fifth element kind of vibe yeah. to it. Very yeah, colorful, yeah. very overly marketed, slick yeah. feeling. But there's it's it's bright and happy, but there's this undertone, this seedy this underbelly. Dark, evil That's undertone. kind of obvious, but nobody yeah. really pays attention to it. Yep, pretty much. And so uh, this is actually the third time that they've 
been working on an Aeon Flux game. They started working on one way back in 1996 for the PlayStation 1 and, of course, PC. And I guess Cryo Interactive was working on a game and just never got released. There was also another unfinished game that was supposed to be worked on in the year 2000. That was done by the collective. Yeah, and those were all just going to be based on the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And so it just didn't work out. Yeah. But hey, they. Um, I think the reason why this game came out was because they took so much of the engine from Blood Rain 2, because the developer that worked on this Terminal Reality also made that game as the well. The Infernal Engine. Yeah. And Terminal Reality makes great games. I mean, for the most part, they're they're a pretty solid developer. Yep. yep. And I, I feel like this game is actually pretty good. I, I mean, it, it's a it's a different game. It's it's fun. It's kind of like God of War mixed with Prince of Persia yeah, a mixed bit. with. I mean, you can climb on walls and stuff like that, like Prince of Persia. You, it's it's got game like a shooting gameplay, like third person action shooting. Yeah. It's also got these puzzles too, a little bit where you're like you can get in these balls and you can like roll around and stuff. So. And the physics engine is really good too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, there's like ragdoll physics and like the physics of the ball when you're in this like ball puzzle thing, yeah. kind of going around. It it feels heavy like right. it feels like a, very a lot of weighted. inertia to the ball exactly right so their physics engine is great the game is great and now let's talk about the music the music is is very solid i mean i enjoyed it i wish it was higher quality though um you had mentioned that some yeah the music on this game it's it's so mono 22 kilohertz Ugh. so unfortunately you know i wish we could have played a higher quality version but it just doesn't, doesn't exist, exist. I, I did the best i could with what's on the disc itself yeah. it's very Background music-ish. I don't know if I'd listen to this soundtrack like driving in the car. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but it does. It fits with the game. Exactly. While I was playing the game, it was like it added to the game. Like mm-hmm. I, I almost forgot it was there because it just fits so well with the aesthetic of the game. Right. And then at points when the music would cut out, like in between loops or fades or whatever, I would I would notice its absence. Right. So it, it, it just was written particularly for the game and it worked very well in that respect. I love those orchestra like I don't want to call them synth hits, but they're definitely orchestra hits with these little violin bombastic drums just like boom, 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 boom. Just like really heavy. You could feel the weight of those. Yeah. And then you've got these like little pitter pattering of these like uh, like electronic drums. Yeah. Yeah, electronic drums. Really great like rhythm section in this song. And that kind of continues throughout the whole game too. Yeah. You know, a lot of it sounds very similar to this. This one probably has the one of the heaviest and more more quick rhythms. I think to it, yeah. a lot of it is very very ambient stuff. Yeah, agreed. So what else has Kyle Richards done? Kyle Richards has worked on so much stuff. It's not even funny. He started off in 1994 with Terminal Velocity. Worked on a Monster Truck Madness series, Monster Truck Madness One, Two, and Madness 64. The 4x4 Evo series for the Dreamcast. That had some really good music. I really okay. like that soundtrack. Was audio director for the Metal Slug anthology, and after that, he did a lot of the. Um, ports of the Neo Geo games to like the Wii. Remember all those collections of yeah, Neo Geo yeah. games? SNK and yep. He was classics. he was audio director for the Samurai Showdown anthology, King of Fighters collection. Probably did a lot of that porting the music from the Neo Geo uh, into a digital format to be played on on the modern consoles. His most recent games were dialogue editing for the Order 1886. And then Helldivers, which just came out on the PS4. He worked on dialogue recording and editorial for that. So I think he's specifically credited for the limited edition bundle for Helldivers. So I think maybe he did some editing for the extra content, like the uh, developer commentary and stuff. He did the uh, soundtrack for the box. The box? The limited edition box. Oh, the music that plays when you open yeah, up yeah, the box. Yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. And that's no, about it. When you open it, it's just like bump. 
Right. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Little disco lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, he also did the music for Blood Rain and Blood Rain 2 right. as well. So he definitely has the ability to create music for this style of game. Cool. Yeah, let's move on to our next track. This is one of the games that I owned as a kid, though I have never, ever seen the movie. You haven't seen Top Gun? I've never seen Top Gun. Oh. Uh, Yeah, no. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Lots. (laughs) One of the minor things being that I've never seen Top Gun. This is the original NES version of Top Gun released in 1987. This is the refueling theme by Kiyohiro Sada, Kazuki Maraoka, and Koji Murata. Welcome back. That was Top Gun for the Nintendo Entertainment System. That was a track by Kirohiro Sada, Kazuki Muroaka, and Koji Murata. And that was called Refool... Refool... Yeah, Refooling. Refooling. You ain't fooling anybody. (laughs) Refueling. All right, there you go. Yeah. Have you played this game? This game Mm. gets terrible, terrible reviews from everybody. So, it's funny because... You said that you, during the break, we were talking about Top Gun. And I've seen it. I've seen it a couple times, actually. You said you've never seen the movie. I've never played the game. I have no desire to play the game. You have no desire to see the movie. So together, we couldn't care less about Top Gun. But together, we know everything about Top Gun. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) At the same time. It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just could care less about flight simulation. Well, I agree, and I'm the same way. Somehow... I owned this game wow. when it was new. Okay. I don't know if my brother asked for it for Christmas. He would. Or what <laughs> happened. Maybe we rented it because it was one of those times where it was like the only thing on the shelf left at Blockbuster or Maybe wherever we were it? renting. Yeah, so like 1987 when the game came out, we just ended up owning it. And so I got really good at it because it was just one of those games that I would play all the time mm-hmm. like throughout my childhood. And so, you know, I'm watching all of these YouTube review videos about how infuriating and impossible landing on the aircraft carrier is, and I'm like, it's not that hard, guys. People are just, they're looking at the top screen. Well, you shouldn't look at the top screen at all. It's like you have to, you have to make sure that you're following the directions and the text and then making sure that the numbers match up. Like you have to be at like 478 knots to to land properly in a certain degree of angle. And it's not that hard to get to. You just speed up, slow down and move your 
playing up, up, around. Down, down, you know, left, like right, left, that. right, B, A, yeah. select, start. <laughs> right, just under the guys, Konami code. You, you know, done. it's the Konami code. It's a Konami game. Anyways, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that you will probably not like it if you played it anyway because there's not much to the game at all. However, it's one of those nostalgia games from my childhood that I just really enjoyed. The cool thing about being able to play a song like this on the podcast is that there's always jet engine noise and a lot of sound effects over this really cool guitar riff that plays during the refueling scene. So, like stage, like there's only four stages in the game, but like stage two and three and four, they're longer, so you have to refuel your plane halfway through. So, this, uh, you know, giant plane comes over your head and it drops down this fuel line, and it's very similar to landing on the aircraft carrier. You've got to maneuver the bigger plane's nozzle into your the nose of your plane so you can refuel. And this really awesome rock and music is playing in the background the whole time, and it really kind of brings up the intensity of the whole scene. But there's always like that ship, and there's beeping going on telling you which way to go, so I was really happy when I could finally listen to this song without all that crazy crap going on. It's a good track. Yeah. Really? I don't know. The song's good. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. No, the song's good. Just I have no. No, I don't. And I don't want you to play the game because yeah. you'll come away from it saying I will Meh. murder you. You'll make that exact same sound you just made. If you Meh. if you make me play that game, I will I will kill it. Oh come on! It's not a game worth killing somebody. I over. don't know. It, it's playable. It's it's just frustrating if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I have less problems with the difficulty and more. I just wouldn't want to play it. I don't know. A flight simulation. It's like a first-person thing. It's Planes like come watching, out of it. It's, it's like, like Afterburner. It's like without watching somebody else eat tacos. I want to eat tacos. I don't want to, you know, watch somebody eat tacos. I, but you're not watching somebody else play the game. You're watching somebody else fly a plane. You're, wanna, you're flying the plane. No, I'm not. Who is flying plane? Bears, Bears flying, flying plane. plane. How can that be? How can that be? Oh, man. I have no idea. I don't know. So, Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Maybe I'll watch the movie someday. Movie's good. Movie's good. How about if I watch the movie, you play the game? Deal. Deal? Deal. Deal. All right. Excellent. Sweet. I'll have to video myself watching the movie so you can video yourself watching the game, and then we'll put it on YouTube or something. <laughs> put yeah. it on the Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, getting a, a little silly here, uh, let's talk about the composers a little bit. Kaoji Murata is uh, kind of a freelancer. Worked for Konami, but then also did Bases Loaded, which was developed by Tosei, which we learned on our Jellico episode. Worked with Hideo Kojima, did program effect for Snatcher in 1988. Ganbare Goemon 2, another Konami game. But then also arranged the music for the Game Boy version of Bionic Commando for Capcom in 1992. And then Oxria Retro World in 2012. Mm. And that's a indie game that kind of took uh, elements of NES and Game Boy games and mixed them all together, so he's got some music in that. That seems kind of new and neat. Kazuki Muroaka, yeah, he is basically a Hideo Kojima guy. He's done pretty much every... He lives in Hideo's basement. (laughs) Yes, just cranking out tunes for him. (laughs) Metal Gear Solid, the the latest one, uh, Phantom Pain, Ground Zeroes, Peace Walker, Guns of the Patriots, Portable Ops. You know, very cinematic, you know, movie-based type of games yeah. with movie-style soundtracks. He's done some other work on the Yu-Gi-Oh! series, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Sacred Cards. He did uh, sound programming for the Zone of Enders, the second runner. I did worked on sound for Boktai, The Sun is in Your Hand, that, uh, that Game Boy Advance game. Um, that made you go outside? Yes. Those jerks. Yeah, I know, right? God. Uh, worked on some Beat Mania stuff, Police Knots, Lethal Enforcers, Gradius 3, Parodius. So, you know, basically was a Konami dude and 
Yeah. Yeah. And Kiyohiro Sada started off with music creation and then later on kind of went more towards the like sound effect and sound programming route. He was one of the composers for the original Contra. Started off with Russian Attack and Stinger in 1985 and 86 for Konami. Wrote the music for Blades of Steel. So a bunch of these like very popular Konami games, The Adventures of Bayou Billy, a special cybernetic attack team, Scat, he did sound design for, Spanky's Quest, and then after a while started doing the Summon Knight series, so Summon Knight, Swordcraft Story, and Summon Knight 3. Those were in 2003, and did some sound effects and programming for some of the Resident Evil games along the way. So. Top Gun was kind of like a very early stage for a lot of these composers that went on to do a lot of bigger things over the next two decades. And it shows. I mean, the game itself starts off with a really well-done rendition of the original Top Gun movie theme, which is really good. And then there's only like two or three pieces of music in the game, which is weird that there's like three composers that worked on it. Yeah. But all of the compositions for this game are really, really solid. So it just goes to show the talents of these guys were just, just starting to blossom. Very like true. little flowers. They just needed some water and love. Okay, then. And now they are blossoming throughout the video game industry, creating little Thank Konami you. gardens. Thank you, Bob Ross. Happy little composers. <laughs> All right, our next game is Rambo, which came out on the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1987. This was stage theme by Toru Hasabe. That was Rambo for the NES, and that came out in 1987. That was the stage theme by Toru Hasabe, 
And oh man, you hear that song so much uh, in this yes. game. <laughs> it's like your general outdoorsy walking around theme. Yes, it is the overworld theme, if you will. This game is pretty hard. I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't really get that far in it. Now, am I the only one that saw the similarity to Zelda 2? Oh, that absolutely. Oh, totally. It's so weird. Absolutely Zelda 2. January of 87 was the initial release date for Zelda 2. And oh. then Rambo came out December of 87. So, so there's plenty of time year. for development. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Well then, we learned a lesson today. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really, really... Yeah. Have you seen all the Rambo movies? No, I've not seen a single Rambo movie. Oh, you haven't? No, oh, I knew there was good. a plot. I thought it followed the movie, but maybe no, I'm wrong. The, so I think it follows the second movie or the third movie. I, I've only seen the first movie and bits and pieces of the third movie. Oh, and I saw the new one, the Rambo 4 that came out. Right. That was just called John Rambo or whatever. Yeah, that one was really good, actually. It was really gruesome, though. Like, a lot of blood. But the first Rambo is it's kind of a depressing movie. Like... This war vet, John Rambo, comes back from from Vietnam and basically everybody hates him because, you know, that was back when everybody hated these soldiers that were coming back from Vietnam. And, like, it's kind of a sad movie. Like, I don't know. But, I don't know, that's just me. It's still John... It's Rambo. John Rambo. freaking Rambo! I mean, the second movie and the third movie were more action-y, you know? Right, the they were traditional movies, action movies. It's more like, you know, hey, you spear some chained man, and you're like, dude, you're John Rambo. Yeah, like, but um, you never... you know, you, It's funny, because you never <laughs> see that stuff depicted when you think of Rambo. You know, right. you always see the shirtless guy with the right. machine gun and the well, headband. That's and, what he became, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, he was a t super tough dude. But, like... That's just how it goes. But, uh, yeah, as far as the soundtrack, the, this game, like, I don't know, the soundtrack and the game fit well together, I, I felt. This song is definitely the best song on the soundtrack. Uh, it's just, it's great. It's it's just a It's really, infectious. It's an infectious action Japanese track. It's just really great. It drives the gameplay all the way. It makes you want to keep playing the game, despite the fact that the game is very, very difficult. Very yeah, hard. I agree. You know, you don't get a lot of weapons for Rambo. I mean, you get a knife, and that's basically it. You, you can upgrade later on, and you get guns and stuff like that. But, like, you know, limited ammo. Like, Rambo, to me, and I don't know if you've ever played the arcade Rambo game that came out fairly recently, like in arcades, like in Dave and Buster's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th that game is totally fun and really good. And that's what Rambo should be, is just mindless action. If you're gonna play a Rambo game, that's what it should be. Some of the Master, I think the Master System game and the Genesis game supposedly are really good, especially Rambo 3 from what I've heard on the Genesis. Yeah, this one is, is much more like a, I don't know, infiltration kind of game. Yeah, Almost yeah. kind of like wants to be like a side-scrolling Metal Gear Solid It's kind just confusing of because everything looks the same. Yeah. And so... And there's no map. There's no map. You just press up and down over certain areas to switch between boards or levels or whatever you want to call them. And right. it's very hard to get your bearings because everything looks the same. The yeah. tile sets are, are, are very limited in the in the stages. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, unless you've spent a lot of time in the game and, and memorized it or you have kind of a, a walkthrough or some sort of a, mm -hmm. you know, Nintendo Power style map to guide you through it, it's right. going to take a lot of trial and error to get through this one effectively. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it proves to be a very difficult game. It's not... I mean, it's non-linear. It's not like Metroid non-linear, where, like, there are some legit differences between various different points. I mean, Metroid, the first game, did have some of the challenges that Rambo suffers from. 
because it's non-linear and there were so many limitations back then that it was difficult to make things look different enough that you could be like, okay, I, I turned left there, so I'm not going to go there because that's a trap or that's something that I don't need or yeah. I've been there before. So it, it proves to be very difficult for NES games to, to have that non-linear mentality. I feel like if this game came out on the Super Nintendo, there'd be a lot less limitations. So you'd be able to explore, you know, various different palettes or various different colors or schemes or arrangements that graphically would, would be better off yeah, yeah. for the game. So the music was composed by Toru Hasebe, and he doesn't have too much uh, in terms of credits. He worked on, obviously, uh, Rambo was in 87. He took a long break from, from Rambo to Romance of the Three Kingdoms 8. Yeah, in 2002, he, he was the drumming performer. I don't know what you want to call him. He was credited as drums for Star Ocean till the end of time in 04. Uh, helped compose music for Dynasty Warriors 5 and then Dynasty Warriors Volume 2, which was the PSP version of Dynasty Warriors. I was going to say, because 5 is... Yeah, Volume 2. So it's, yeah, it went like 5 and then it was Volume 1 on the PSP and then Volume 2 on the PSP. Those weren't in the actual canon of the Dynasty Warriors games. Not that there really is a canon for those. but And then uh, was also credited as drums again for Final Fantasy XIV Online. And then the expansion pack to that, A Realm Reborn. And really, that's about it. Word. Also credited on this game is Minky Motoyama, who was credited for music. Uh, it's surmised that he or she was the sound programmer. Mm-hmm. But that name does not show up in any other credits Hmm. anywhere. So either it's an alias or somebody who only just worked on this particular game and then turned into a ninja. Poof. Flew off into the belfry. Poof. Vampire ninja. Vampire ninja. Poof. What's our next game? Our next game is Toy Story for the Genesis. This was a 1995 release. This is Stage 8 Buzz Battle by Patrick J. Collins, Philip Morris, I wonder if he smokes, Andy Blythe, Martin Joustra, and Alistair Brimble.
Welcome back. That was Toy Story for the Sega Genesis, and that was a 1995 game. Stage 8, Buzz Battle. Track was composed by Patrick J. Collins, Philip Morris, Andy Blythe, Martin Joustra, and Alistair Brimble. And yeah, a lot of people worked on this. Now, as far as the music and the soundtrack and everything goes, this soundtrack is actually pretty unique for the Genesis because it uses a specific, it supports mod playback. Well, just the title screen music. The rest of it's all just FM. I mean, the drums are so tight. I love the rhythm section. Yeah, yeah. That's all probably using the sample channel. Yeah, no, I really like the drums in this. Just really snappy, sharp bass drum. That, that is borderline double bass almost. Um, and then you've got this kind of, I don't know, like this keyboard that kind of comes in and you get these like little weird notes that kind of like are right at the end, the tail end, like that so it sounds like a cat meowing almost. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool, I, I dug the track. Later on the track has some higher end stuff that I wasn't that big of a fan of. Just sounds like something out of the master system in all honesty. But no, it was, it was cool. I dug it. Have you played this this game at all? Or? I haven't played the Genesis version. I think I played the SNES version back oh, okay. when it was new, but I haven't gone back to it in quite a while. Yeah, the game's fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's a platformer and stuff. I don't stuff. Know. I mean, the Pixar games are generally pretty good. Yeah. I like that the Pixar games in the future in the future from the future. speaking from the perspective of this game so like you know the, the, the 3d based yeah, yeah. pixar games where they were able to use character models that were directly based on the like 3d Nemo. models from right from the movies themselves so mm-hmm. they looked very very accurate yeah like uh you know eddie when he was a kid was a huge fan of wally he would watch that over and over and over again so you know the the, the game would look exactly like the movie did when you started playing it on your Xbox 360 mm-hmm. or your PS3. So and graphically, cool. this wasn't a slouch. No, this used Genesis. like things uh, techniques similar to like Donkey Kong Country, right. where they digitized the models from the from the movie yeah. and then made them into. So it's a very colorful, very well animated game with very big sprites. So they kind of yeah. you know brought the Genesis to its limits when when programming this. Definitely, one. no, it's impressive. I mean, graphically, uh, musically, um, for the tech- technical aspects of it, is very impressive stuff. Toy Story the movie. Do you have a favorite out of the trilogy? Uh, I like two. I yeah. think two was my favorite. Three was too like I don't know. It felt like it was trying to extract feelings out of me that I didn't want to have. <laughs> What's this liquid coming from well, my yeah, eyes? Yeah, that kind of thing. It was like you know, <laughs> almost like scientifically designed to make you feel bad at the end. Yeah, you know? but whatever. Yeah, I actually haven't um, seen the end of it. So yeah, it's pretty heard. emotional. Yeah, it's pretty emotional. Well, I watched Up. Yeah, and I was Up like, was great. I was like. Why would you make like my fiance made me watch it? And I was like, why would you make me watch that? Like, buckets of tears. Because they didn't because of Titanic, yeah. basically. Because women wanted to go to the theater and freaking cry over. I don't over understand again. that. Bizarre Weird. reason. Weird. But yeah, the first Toy Story movie was really good. I'd probably say that's the best out of the three, in my opinion. Um, two is okay. Uh, you know, it's just I don't know. Those CG movies aren't my bag. One looks. <sighs> As amazing as it looked at the time, one is looking kind of dated. Oh, now. now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know... Especially and, when you compare it with three. Right. And being such a techie kind of guy myself, it's like that That almost kind of prevents me from enjoying the movie as much as I... Used to. Used to. Yeah. yeah you know, like bad CG effects. And so it's like a, the entire movie is one bad CG effect. It's still, it still holds up pretty well. Yeah. But they did make some good technological advancements between one and two. And then even more so, obviously, between two and three. And every Pixar movie that comes out, they're adding new and improved 
graphical capabilities. Yeah, in you know, ten years, we'll be saying the same thing about Toy Story three. What that it looks dated? Yeah. Yeah. No, we we probably will. Yeah. And we'll probably be saying the same thing about current day Pixar films. You know, they're sure. getting more and more photorealistic as as we go on. Yeah. So, but in any case, back to Toy Story, the Genesis game. It's pretty much a side-scrolling action yeah. platformer, collecty. Get to the end of the level. I mean, it's it's nothing that's Hasn't groundbreaking. Been done before, anyway. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I guess one of the things that kind of holds me back about this tune is that every no, it feels like something I would have composed on Cakewalk in like you know 1994. Every yeah. note's the same velocity. There wasn't. There's no like performance feel to it. It's mm-hmm. all just like we stuck these notes in these blocks and then played them all. Right. The tune is good. Mm-hmm. It just lacks kind of a human element to it that would make it sound like a real kind of a rock band song. It's like a program song. You're thinking that you're exactly right. It's it's a it's a program song. It's a song that was designed and created by a computer. It doesn't have any emotional feeling to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So to speak, it doesn't have any kind of ramping up if you will, yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's just on the go. It's cool. Boom, just boom, boom. I mean, it is buzz boom, battle, so is that, a, is that a boss music? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far in it. Bro. I don't know. Bro. Bro, you haven't tried this game. So anyways, with a title like with a title like buzz battle, it sounds like it's going to be kind of an intense part of the game. So I, I feel like... I think you're fighting buzz in this level. It maybe makes sense. <laughs> I mean, so... It is called buzz battle. So so music like this, yeah, I mean, it would, it would, it would be appropriate for that kind of a action-oriented, intense stage. So. Cool. The giant number of composers that worked on this. Oh, my. Who, who, who did what? Oh. I know, so Alistair Brimble was credited because there is kind of a unique soundtrack aspect to this game. As Mike mentioned, before the title screen music, Alistair Brimble actually took the, the, the digital sample channel that the Genesis had and programmed a Amiga mod player for it. So if you were to listen to the title screen music of this game, it sounds nothing like a Genesis. There's no FM whatsoever. It's right. all just sequenced samples played yeah. one after another, which is which is very cool. We'll put that up. Yeah, we'll put that up on the Facebook group so you guys yeah. can check it out. Now, as far as Martin Joustra goes, he has done a lot of the Pixar games. He started off with Mickey Mania in 1994. Uh, Toy Story was the year after he was uh, part of the music composition and adaption team. And uh, Toy Story 2, he wrote the music, basically converted the original music by Swallow Studios, and then uh, went on to Crash Bandicoot, Haven, Call of the King in 2002, and then his last credit was for Finding Nemo in 2003. Andy Blythe actually was, I guess, working with Swallow Studios because he also did the sequel, uh, Toy Story 2. Buzz Lightyear to the Rescue came out in 99. That was by Swallow Studios. Yeah, they must have both been members of Swallow Studios. That's what then. I'm thinking. Yeah, did the work for Disney's Toy Story, of course. Mickey Mania. Yeah, his uh, uh, his, his credits are actually identical to, yeah. to Jastra's. So they, so must, they, must, they must all... Twinsies! Yeah, man. <laughs> so, and then Patrick J. Collins did audio for a bunch of different games, mostly Disney-ish type games. He did audio for Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow, which was that Super Nintendo game that was based on, like, it was a, it was like, I almost said Daffy Duck. It was Donald Duck, but he was like a, a cool, like, samurai dude that had like a sword i don't know yeah it was weird gargoyles the genesis game for that toy story uh, pocahontas which came out for the genesis and uh last game that he did was revenant in 1999 and he's quoted for additional music there keep getting him mixed up with phil collins (laughs) 
Yes. Can you feel it coming in the air? Never mind. Yeah. Stick, <sighs> stick, the stick, wrong stick. kind of Genesis. My bad. Stick to stick to pixel tunes, my friend. What did Philip Morris do? Philip Morris, besides owning a cigarette company, <laughs> he has done audio. He's done video. He's done design, production, and business. He's done it all. Audio-wise, he's mostly done like casting and voice production for a lot of games. So music, I think he was more of a music manager as far as this goes. I mean, he's only credited for composition or music in a game called Microcosm, which I believe was a Sega CD game. Yes, it was. Yes. Among other things. The rest of the games that he's done, mostly just music manager or music production, music supervisor. He was the supervisor on Toy Story, uh, Destruction Derby. He did editing on Darker. Ring Cycle, Bram Stoker's Dracula. So he managed he managed the sound teams, and then when it was time for cigarette breaks, he would supply them <laughs> cigarettes with, with Marlboro and Philip Morris branded cigarettes. Hey, smoke up, boys! You know you're not going to need your voice. We just need your fingers on those piano keys. <laughs> oh man, let's wrap this up. Waterworld is our <laughs> next game. <sighs> You picked the worst for last. What? Super Nintendo, 1995. Wait, worst movie or worst, worst music? Worst movie. Okay, all right. Yeah. I, I was hoping you weren't going to say the soundtrack no. was awful, because the soundtrack is amazing. The movie's terrible. The movie is terrible. Mission Theme 2, Dean Evans was a composer. We talked about him a little bit. We'll talk about him after the break.
if you're not asleep by now, that song was <laughs> that was from Waterworld for the SNES. And if you've played that game, I am very very sorry. Uh, that was <laughs> Mission that Movie. I'm very, very yeah sorry. that too. That was Mission Theme Two from Dean Evans. The game came out in 1995, right around the release of the movie. And I suppose the Waterworld legacy is a very awful one with terrible games and a terrible film. Terrible everything. Except, Except the soundtrack. Yeah. I guess the soundtrack is the one good thing that came out of that millions of dollars that they spent making all of these Waterworld branded products. You know, this, as we were talking about the Eon Flux track, not really something I'd listen to in my car, you know. Yeah. It's, it's something that I would throw on in the background while I was working, you know, just chill out, you know, just hanging out. Best part about this song is the drums, in all honesty. It's very laid back, very chill. Yeah, uh, I like the little arpeggio fun. keyboard stabs, yeah. too. It had like elements of both Gambit and Storm's stages from yeah. Tim Fallon's Spider-Man very and X-Men and Arcade's Revenge soundtrack. Yeah, similar yeah. sound fun. Yeah. So Dean Evans is the owner of Burn Bray Audio Studios. And he has done just a ton of stuff. I mean, he's, he's one of those multimedia guys that does audio for just about everything. Um, TV, film, video games, toys. He's been in the industry for 15 years. He also, like I said, worked with Barry Leach on the Lethal Weapon Amiga game right. as right. well. And he did. So as you can tell, his style seems to be very different from Barry Leach. So yeah. if, you, if you were to play the Amiga game, you definitely hear a difference in those styles. The menu theme, the title screen theme all sound very, very much like this, where Barry Leach's style was much more energetic and, and kind of dancey, yeah. more techno. This is more relaxed, subdued. Yeah. It's cool. It's chill. Game sucks. Movie sucks. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. You play as Kevin Costner. You play as Kevin Costner or the Mariner, as he is known. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, the Mariner. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he really defeat. doesn't even have a game or a name in the movie anyways. Trying to defeat King Koopa. Dennis Hopper, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Gosh. And, you know, it's kind of like, like almost like Mad Max on water instead of the desert. Yeah. It's kind of like that post-apocalyptic totally thing. Ugh. Which is which is interesting because if you follow the Mad Max canon, what happens to the world is that, you know, mankind slowly poisons the world. Basically what happens is the, the, the earth starts warming up, so all the ice caps melt. And then what happens is the world floods, and then it heats up even more, so the oceans evaporate and everything is desert. So Waterworld, if it were a better movie, I would almost like place it in like the Mad Max universe during that point where water flooded the right, world. Right. And then, you know, Mad Max would occur after everything had drained from it. Isn't he like half fish or something like that? He's like half merman guy. I don't think he's supernatural. He's like the the best diver, so he can no, stay he underwater like for does he have in the movie. I don't know. I never I think really he has like gills. That's weird. If I recall. And he could like breathe underwater and swim and stuff. Like, yeah. Movie stuff. I don't even know, man. Fortunately, <laughs> Dean Evans has worked on some good stuff. I started off with Lethal Weapon, actually, was his first real game that he made music for in 1992. Did audio design for Hook and Cool World, so he worked a lot with Jonathan Dunn. Then Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park 2. Waterworld was in 1995. The Flintstones was after that, and that had a really good soundtrack as well, the uh, Flintstones movie game for the SNES. Oh, yeah? Rally Championship Extreme. 
Mace Griffin, Bounty Hunter, who did the sound effects for, and then most recently in 2004, Richard Burns Rally. And nowadays, he's uh, you can go to burnbray-audio.com, and you can check out all of his most recent stuff that he's done over there as movie and film and right. TV credits, etc. Cool. This is actually one of my favorite SNES soundtracks. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's good stuff. All right, then. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to play some more in the future. All right. So that's going to do it for our movie episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We know that there was a bit of a lack of certain types of movies, but, you know, hey, there's tons of movies out there, so maybe we'll do a second one. And what are some of your favorite movie tracks and movie games? Let us know. Check us out on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pixel tunes radio you could voice your opinion on not only the episode but also let us know what some of your favorite movies are some of your favorite movie tracks some of your favorite movie games shoot us your tweets as well we are on twitter at pixel tunes radio and there i mean we basically hang out do follow fridays and chat with other friends and people who have other podcasts and videos and we just have a good time yeah man Jokes. Lots of jokes. Check us out at pixeltunesradio.com. That's where you can go for every episode, both on YouTube and as well as the download. You can download the actual episode itself, put it on your hard drives, throw it on your phone to go, whatever you prefer. Keep it forever so you can play it for your mom when you go yes, to her house on the weekends. Absolutely. Mom, you got to listen to this podcast. Pixel Tunes Radio. I know you, never, I know, no, I know you don't play video games, but these guys are great. <laughs> You can also check us out at youtube.com forward slash dongled, and that is where Pixel Tunes Radio's video portion is hosted. You could also, while you're there, check out Dude You Haven't Played This Game, which is my YouTube review show. You can also check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating on iTunes. We would love to hear from you and hear feedback on how we're doing, what you thought of the show, if you enjoyed it, if you don't enjoy it. Give us some constructive feedback that we can use so we can mold the show so that we know what you like and what you don't like. Exactly. And speaking of the Facebook group, we've had a few actual video game composers come and join us That's on true. the group. So it's a really good opportunity to you know kind of check out your favorite composers, uh, Hiroyuki Masuno, famous for Shadowgate and Deja Vu and The Uninvited, uh, actually found us and yeah. joined our, our, our group. That's awesome. And just recently, uh, this morning, as of this recording, uh, Guillermo Badolato actually just joined us. He heard us play his soundtrack from Little Red Riding Hood's Zombie Barbecue on our Spooky Tunes episode. Zombie Barbecue! <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he is now an official member of our group as well. So, you know, if you're a video game composer, if we haven't played your music on the show, contact us. Join the group. You can email us at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. You know, send us some samples of your tracks and maybe we can do a little uh, audio interview or, you know, answer do, do some questions and answers and we'll get you on the show. We'll have a great time. Cool. Sounds good. So, episode 50. Five zero. Five Zero. What do we have planned? So we're doing Free Pick 2, Turbo Edition. I pick six tracks, Ed picks six tracks, and then you vote for me. We pit them head to head. <laughs> and hopefully it won't be a tie this time. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, that was pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, so you get to vote for who picked the better track. We'll pick weird themes and do the whole shebang. So it'll be really fun. We love picking tracks and having you guys vote on them. Yeah, it'll be a nice 50th anniversary special. We want, you know, to interact with you guys as much as possible. So, and then we'll have a little vote up on facebook.com slash groups slash pixel tunes radio where you can tell us 
which of our pairings of tracks you enjoyed the best, and vote for Ed, who is your favorite co-host. You mean Mike? No, I meant Ed. Well, you meant Ed, but they meant Mike, so... Mm, No, I think they meant Ed. Listen. Have a good one! (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, we will see you in two weeks for episode 50 extravaganza. Peace out. Bye-bye.